everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Dishes and Dimes brought to you by Basketball News. My name is Iman, and I'm joined by a Raptors Twitter villain. Can I call mm. you that? <laughs> I'm joined by Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast. Justin, how are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm suffering through this recent stretch of Cavs basketball, and uh, I. I feel like I, I haven't put my villain hat on for a while. So the, the fact that I'm still being recognized as such, it, it's it warms. It's the Canadian flag. It's the yeah, Canadian <laughs> flag in there. <laughs> hey, I, I took that down. I, I am no longer oh, rocking the Canadian I flag. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Uh, it's just, it's forever ingrained in my memory. No, you you haven't been much of a of a Raptors villain, mm-hmm. mainly, you know, since since. LeBron James left, really. Yeah. Um, and that was the last time the Raptors and Gavs had a, a rivalry that wasn't much of a rivalry. Um, in the words of LeBron James, he felt no <laughs> adversity. Um, it wasn't much of a rivalry. Instead, it was like the Cavs were this wall that the Raptors just could not get past. Three years and two wins <laughs> in that time, which is crazy to think. Um, but you you were the ultimate villain um, mm-hmm. in those years. And but before we even get into to this, I'm, I'm going on a tangent already. One of my favorite things that's happened, and I don't know if you've noticed it, is in to prop up LeBron James's career. And LeBron James is not a guy who needs his career propped up in any way. But to do that, there has been this rewriting of history with how good those Raptors teams were. <laughs> How good like DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry were in those series. And I love that for a number of reasons. One, yes, remember my Raptors teams as good as they are in my memory, please. Um, And two, it like feeds directly into this like conspiracy theory that Raptor fans have that as long as it's happening in Toronto, no one's going to pay attention to it. But as soon as it happens <laughs> in Chicago or Miami, all eyes are going to be on it, uh, which is exactly what's happened. Like the history of the Raptors as it was happening in 2016, 2017, 2018, no one cared. As soon as like <laughs> they've moved on to bigger and better endeavors elsewhere, there's like, you know what? Those Raptors teams are actually like LeBron James beat DeMar DeRozan and Guy Lowry and like, <laughs> uh, which is, which is great. And I love it. Um, so it's LeBron, one of the unique things about the Toronto Raptors fan base is not only do they have a persecution complex, which I most certainly have uh, li- living in Winnipeg. Uh, I mean, you, you're going to get a lot of jokes directed towards that. Being a, a Cleveland fan, you, you're going to get a lot of jokes there. I'm very familiar with the persecution complex, but I, I love the unique blend that Toronto fans have where there's both a superiority complex and an inferiority complex. It, it's just, it, it's a angst smoothie uh, that, that can be, it can be a lot to take in all at once, but you know, in small doses, it, it, it can be fun to watch. It really fits in with the Atlantic division. I feel like that's the brand of like mm. all of the teams in the Atlantic division. Boston has it. It's a um, really good call. Right, I, like, I, I would say the, the Nets Sixers have it, have but they, it. they don't have fans, so that, that doesn't really count. But I, I, Knicks fans certainly have it. You know, yeah. you might be onto something there. I, I think that's a good observation. It's it's yeah, it's the brand of the Atlantic Division. But okay, so let's forget about those LeBron James teams that that broke my heart and talk about some teams that have made me very excited. So earlier on in the season, I wrote this piece about the Cavs and the Raptors sort of zigging as the rest of the league zag, and. 
uh, just being so fascinated with what both of these teams have done in very different ways. The Raptors just have giant wings and the Cavs are like, yes, I'll take every center, um, anyone <laughs> over seven feet. Um, uh, and it's been a lot of fun to watch both of these teams kind of have their, have a, a, I don't want to say like a breakout, I guess kind of, you can kind of quantify it as a breakout year. Both teams are playing much better than I think people expected them to having really come into the season. It's hard to say that for the Raptors because you have champions on the team and guys that have done it, all-stars, all-NBA guys in the past um, still come back, but definitely for the Cavs, this has kind of been a breakout year uh, for them. And, and also for Darius Garland, who is not a part of that seven foot um, behemoth, but is the guy that really makes it work at least on the offensive end. Um, what are your thoughts on what the Cavs have done this year? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that both teams have exceeded expectations. When you look at it, there's 15 games left of the season and both teams have already hit their over uh, from the yeah. Vegas standpoint. And that's with a lot of injuries for both of these teams. I, I think both Toronto and Cleveland are better than their records this season. Uh, both have had very bad injury luck. But uh, what's so impressive is that the Cavs that, Coming into this season, you wouldn't think of them being an especially deep team. Uh, the way they've been able to navigate injuries, whether it's Colin Sexton going down in the 11th game of the year, uh, losing Ricky Rubio, obviously. Yeah, what's happening with the guards? Like, how is it every single guard goes down? What's going on there? I, I don't know. It, it's it's painful. Like, I, I, I actually made the, the point on our most recent episode of the Chase Down that, hey, because it was coming off the, the Raptors game, I'm like, Toronto's a team that's a lot better than their record, too. And, and they've had a lot of injury uh, or poor injury luck. And then I looked at it today. Uh, the, the Toronto Raptors, so their top six in their rotation, have missed 66 games. So I'm counting top six as Siakam, OG, Fred, Gary, Scotty, and Boucher. I, I went back and forth between Boucher and Birch, but I, I, I think uh, go, going with Boucher for the purposes of this conversation, yeah. they have missed 66 games this season. The top six in the Cavs rotation have missed 129 games this year. Yeah. It's, it is unbelievable to, to look at just how bad the luck has been. And it's also unfortunate because a lot of it's happening at the same time where they'll go into games without a guard or without a center. Um, they, they just seem to lose a position group at a time. And I, I think the cumulative toll is just kind of catching up to them where now you're down Jared Allen, Lowry Markkinen was out uh, against Chicago, Rajon Rondo got hurt in the game again. Uh, so that, that's another player you're out. Karis Levert has only played four games and, and got hurt in the first practice after the All-Star break. It's just, you, you know, it, it's... For it being such a great season in which they've exceeded all expectations, it's also the season from hell when, yeah. when you look at just what they've gone through from an injury standpoint. No, I, I like I, I completely agree. And I, I it's, it's crazy that you sort of put it in that way, because, yes, the Raptors definitely have had terrible injury luck. But what the Cavs have had is just it. it, it far and away outweighs what the Raptors have done. I think the difference there is that the Cavs are just deeper than the Raptors. Yeah. Like the Raptors just have six players. So and, if and, one and of I wouldn't have thought that down, coming into the year. Like I, I yeah. really like some of the Raptors depth. Like I was envious when they find uh when they signed Svima Hiluk. Like I was like that's that's a really great pickup. That's someone that's going to really help. I really like Utah. I, I think yeah. he's a, a really smart player. Cam Birch is, is someone that I like obviously he's missed 26 games. Yeah. Um but I, I thought the Raptors had real depth and for Cleveland it's been a, a bit of a pleasant surprise that guys like Lamar Stevens Dean Wade two, two undrafted players give them valuable minutes Brandon Goodwin uh, coming in off 
basically the scrap heap after missing last year due to a uh, poor reaction to the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine. Um, Like, it's just they've managed to find ways to kind of hold it together with duct tape. But now (laughs) without Jared Allen, without Lowry, uh, without Levert, probably without Rondo, like it's just starting to weigh on them. And I I think you can tell the, the collective fatigue, which is probably something that the Raptors can relate to too, right? Like with so many guys being out, with depth not being there, you had Fred playing 42 minutes a night. You had Scotty playing 40 minutes. Like that is going to wear guys down that even if they're in the lineup, the amount of minutes that they're playing because of injuries and because of everything that's gone on, it has a collective toll on them. Um, definitely. I mean, like, and that's a, that's a very great way of putting it. I do want to just interrupt your point right now to say my beef with with Cavs fans in general. Okay. You just did it. Calling Laurie Markkinen calling Laurie Markkinen by his first name. It throws me off every single time because I think you know what? I'm talking about Kyle Lowry every I, single time. I kept calling him Laurie for yeah. basically all of this year and I kept getting mentioned saying, "Hey, you're saying it wrong, saying it Lowry. wrong." And I've tried to rewire my brain. And like I've managed to get there and now you're pointing out just how infuriating it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, because it it was my beef, too, with the Cavs fans like back in, in, you know, the the old rivalry days um, Mm. of just calling Kyle Corver Kyle. And I'm like, which one? That used to drive me crazy. At at least we didn't go Chloe. We we never (laughs) Kyle over everything. So that's... Oh, uh, so so that's just something that throws me off because I'm always like Larry. I was like, oh, that's, I forgot marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just just my my random beef there. Um, so okay, so I, I do want to talk about okay. So the the Cavs are in their slump. The Raptors are also in a, a weird slump. I mean the Raptors are just in an unpredictable stretch. I mean, they'll have games where they lose against the Magic and the Pistons, and then they'll have a game like last night where they beat the Denver Nuggets without Fred Van Vliet and without OG Ananobi. Granted, Aaron Gordon didn't play, and then, of course, we know that Michael Porter Jr. and and, uh, Jamal Murray are are obviously out for for, um, the, the Nuggets, but it was interesting without a guy like Aaron Gordon there just how the Raptors big wings can absolutely dominate with nobody there to guard them. It's, it's a fun experiment with what the Raptors are doing. It's why I love the Raptors and Cavs is because you just watch both of these teams and they're so unconventional with the way that they play. Um, And it's worked for, for both teams in such a special way. And we can talk about why that's worked for both teams. I, you know, hinting at a little bit of, of some of the rookies there. And we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about the rookie of the year race. Um, But before that, I want to do, I want to focus on uh, the sixth, the race for the sixth seed mm-hmm. because the Cavs are in a rut and the Raptors are struggling. And the only joy I've gotten as the Raptors have struggled is looking over at the Cavs and seeing, okay, you know what? Someone's struggling along with us and is actually maybe hurting a little bit more. And unfortunately that is due to injuries. And I think the Raptors and Cavs are in a very unique situation where no matter what happens, it kind of feels like a win of a season. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you disagree. Maybe if the the Cavs don't make the playoffs, but I do believe you guys still have your your pick is lottery protected. You guys will still yes. probably get that. Same as the Raptors. If they miss the playoffs, it's okay. You still end up with your lottery pick. Um, you know, to build on this team here. But I do think maybe missing the playoffs would be a bit of a disappointment for both of these teams. But anything better than that is a win. Are you do you feel the same way with with how the Cavs season has gone? 
Yes and no. Like, I, I, I feel from a fundamental standpoint, the Cavs have provided a proof of concept. Like, we know at this point that Garland, Mobley, and Allen work together really well. And from a team building standpoint, like, yes, they gave up the, the first for Karis LeVert, but they own all of their future firsts. You have Colin Sexton, you have Lowry Markinen, you have uh, Karis LeVert, you have Isaac Okoro, uh, Jetty Osman, all these like young pieces that could be used in a consolidation move at some point um, to help kind of supplement that big three that they formed and maybe even bring in a, a fourth player. So I, I think from that standpoint, it, this season is a success. But with their play, I, I think it kind of elevated expectations. And I, I think it's fair to be somewhat disappointed if they were to miss the playoffs. Like, yes, from a long-term perspective, um, this is a win. But at the same time, like, that playoff experience is really valuable. Frankly, this experience over the last 20 games here, trying to make the playoffs and, and learning what it takes, that's something that, that's really valuable experience. And that's somewhere, uh, that's a place where a team like Toronto or, or Brooklyn or Boston all have an edge because they have veterans that know what it takes to survive an 82 game season, what it takes to overcome some of these injuries. And part of the reason why, even when the Cavs were like a two seed, I was saying that I, I didn't feel like this was a team that could go much further than maybe the second round because ultimately I, I really value experience and, and learning how to make adjustments in the playoffs. And uh, when you look at a, a team full of guys that like their entire starting lineup is 24 and younger, like that is you're just at such an experience deficit that I, I felt that that was going to catch up to them. Now, I, I think some of this regression might be attributed to that. Um, obviously, a large portion of its injuries, but I, I do think to some extent they were due to have a little bit of a regression. It's just been kind of amplified by the injuries that they've suffered. Right. I think that's a great way to put it, because looking at the Cavs sort of uh, looking at the Cavs record and their numbers uh, at the start of the year, what what did they have? Like the best net rating in the Eastern Conference to yeah. right now? I was looking at it from from January 1st onwards. It's just zero. which <laughs> <laughs> is just like, all right. Man. I'll take that <laughs> as a win, man. Uh, Garland played three <laughs> games true. in February. I'm taking that as a win. <laughs> that's true. That's very fair. Um, for a team that's what three and seven in their last 10, that's not bad at all. Um, and it's actually crazy looking at those numbers because like the Raptors still have like a po a positive net rating. And I guess they had uh, a really great sort of January into February, but uh, it, it just feels like they've been bad for so long because the all-star break was right in between there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought of what I was going to say, really, because I was focusing on the idea of Karis LeVert. I forgot that the trade happened, um, <laughs> mainly because he played like what? I, I watched one, I watched like a little bit of the Indiana game where I think he had his best game for the Cavs. Yeah. Uh, he, he was starting that one. And I have not, I mean, he's been hurt, but like, I'm like, has he played what, like three games, four games before four. going down? Four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it, it, it um, was devastating because you, you had the all-star break in Cleveland. Everything went so well. Like every single event, the uh, Cavs, participated in over the weekend they won whether, whether it was the skills contest yeah. the rising stars in the actual game itself when they were playing with team lebron like the vibes were so good and then on the tuesday you have a practice in which garland re-aggravates his back injury and karis lavert steps on a foot and, and suffers a foot injury and and now he's been out for three weeks so it, it was just the the best of times and the worst of times there it, it really was devastating to, to have that How happen but ron james comments hit for cleveland cavaliers fans 
Um, so my take on it is the Cavs were a very convenient boogeyman for him to put some pressure and yeah. uh, on the Lakers to to make a move. Like it, it served two purposes in my mind. One, the Cavs being as good as they were at the time. Um, kind of, you know, like from a narrative standpoint, I think people would buy into, oh, maybe there's a chance he's he could come back to Cleveland. Like it, it's very convenient from that standpoint. And the other purpose of it is I think he gets a warmer reception at the All-Star game itself. Like it guaranteed that he was going to get a round of applause that's going to rock the roof. And, and it was loud in there uh, as someone that attended the game. Um, I, I think it, it probably would have got a big applause, uh, obviously, with him being there. But I, I think the comments helped take that to another level. And that was probably important for him uh, with him being someone that is so conscious of how he's perceived at all times. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. That, that, that Cavs, that entire All-Star game, I'm just remembering now as you talk about just sort of the the, the crowd response. I'm just remembering that Curry, that like oh God, newlyweds that game that they played. That was so random. That was Sorry, tough. that just like. That was tough. <laughs> that, was, that was very weird. Did not like that. I'm sure just being in the crowd for that was just, I don't know. But anyway, besides the point, let's get back on track. The Karis LeVert trade mm-hmm. was one that didn't, Raptor fans really wanted a guy like Harris. Um, and I didn't mind him so much for the Cavs because I thought he's a guy who needs to be. Okay. I have so many questions in my head. Let me sort of focus it like this. Raptor fans wanted him. I was not a huge fan of getting him for the Raptors because I think that the next iteration of Raptors basketball is putting Scotty on ball, giving Siak on the ball, just like letting like, I didn't think that a, a, a ball dominant guy was the type of guard that the Raptors needed. I thought they mm-hmm. needed someone who could play off ball a lot more. And Karis LeVert is obviously at his best when he has the ball in his hands. That's how it was for Indiana. It wasn't until, uh, who was it that got injured? Who am I forgetting? Um, that I can't think of a pacer oh, right now. Uh, Brogdon. Yes. It wasn't until Brogdon um, got hurt, but it's, and, and even when we're looking back at, you know, Karis LeVert with the Nets, him in that Raptor series, I think, was what Raptor fans were really focused in on. But like Karis Levert's numbers, whether he was on the Pacers, it wasn't until the ball was put in his hands and he was their primary playmaker. He was their sort of ball handler that his numbers really skyrocketed. Same thing with him with the Nets. That's kind of been where Karis Levert is at his best. And so putting him on the Raptors didn't quite make sense to me because I did not want to put the ball in anyone else's hands besides Scotty, if you're running with the bench or Siakam uh, outside of Fred Van Vliet. And I love that Fred has, you know, Fred is obviously at his best off ball as well. And I thought a guard that needed to come into here needed to be one that could excel off ball that can hit a shot. His, his catch and shoot numbers weren't great. Um, they're just, he just didn't fit with what the Raptors necessarily wanted. And the Cavs wanted him. And I thought that was a little bit interesting because I do wonder what role is he going to play with the Cavaliers when everybody is healthy? Um, and, and what does that mean for Colin Sexton? Is he going to be your starting two guard? Is he going to be the, the backup point guard for your team? Like, what is Karis LeVert's role with the Cavs long term? Yeah, I don't know necessarily. Like, I was advocating for trading for LeVert uh, for the months kind of leading up to the deadline after Rubio went down. Because after Rubio went down, I felt... There, there were two obvious needs for the Cavs. They needed more shooting and they needed ball handling. And yeah. if you had to pick one or the other, I thought 
ball handling was the most important because they had guys like Larry Markkinen, like Kevin Love, like Jetty Osman that are good shooters but can't necessarily generate those shots for themselves in the same way. So you needed someone that could go out there and break down the defense. I mean, Rubio wasn't efficient. Like, he he shot less than 40% from the floor. He, He jacked up a ton of threes. But he was just disruptive, right? Like he would get the defense to kind of bend, react, and kind of compromise themselves to to deal with what he was doing on the floor. And that creates offensive rebounding opportunities, which is something you guys are probably very familiar with, how <laughs> uh, you don't necessarily need to have a good shooter if you're just kind of crashing the boards. Um, but I, I thought Levert really kind of brought them some juice off the dribble. And uh, I, I guess the plus side of the trade is it won them two games because one, they traded for him in the game that they were playing against Indiana. So he wasn't able to play that night and they just barely squeaked out that win. And then he beat Indiana himself with a game winner and his yeah. best points performance. So at least two wins out of the, out of the trade. Um, but I, I think moving forward, it's an interesting question. I, I think the Cavs are, as I mentioned before, I think they're in line uh, for a consolidation move at some point if a good young player becomes available, uh, whether it's a combination of uh, Sexton, Okoro, Lavert, Lowry, Osman, uh, and their future first-round picks. Like I, I think they can make a competitive offer for a team. But in the short term, assuming that everybody's back because players that are worth such a package don't always hit the market uh, because teams tend to want to keep those guys, um, I, I think whoever is kind of most ready to start at the two, like we need to see what Sexton looks like after his meniscus rehab. Uh, yeah. Maybe he'll be coming off the bench in favor of Karras. Um, I, I would kind of see like a split of ball handling responsibilities, like maybe 32 minutes a night for for each of them at, at the, the two guard positions. And maybe Karras flexes over to the three, which you can probably get away with if you have Mobley and Allen on the interior. Like, the, the nice thing about having those two is I think it gives them some flexibility from a team construction standpoint. Because when you have two seven-footers that are capable of switching onto guards that can guard all five positions, um, in theory, like that is how you can make two short guards work together. I don't necessarily know if Garland and Sexton are always going to be together, but if you were trying to build guys in a lab that could cover up for that, it would be them. Like that that's different than Utah starting two six foot guards and only having Rudy Gobert who can't really get outside the paint. Like it, it's a much, much different dynamic uh, w- with Mobley and Allen, which is helpful from a team building standpoint. And some of these are good problems to have. I, I just don't know how it's all going to shake out. That's actually a really sort of interesting way to put it. I think in my head, I kind of compare where the Raptors are at to where the Cavs are at. And so to me, it's like, okay, well, you're building this team to be competitive in the very near future, which is what the Cavs are doing as well. But Mm -hmm. um, bringing in a guy like Harris Avert, existing for future flexibility on what you can do with your guys, maybe consolidating the Okoros and the, you know, Sexton and and whoever else to maybe make a move is an interesting way that. Uh, that you put it because how I look at these moves is like, okay, well, this is your team and you're going to try to run with this team and do something. And maybe that doesn't make sense. Um, and, and that's just my, my Raptors brain, because I feel like the, the, the timer, the ticking timer on the Raptors is just set a little bit more forward than the Cavs considering 
you know, that Pascal Siakam and, and Fred Van Vliet are 28th yeah. this year, um, whereas all the Cavs guys are like uh, 12, um, yeah. that it kind of changes things. So it's interesting. I don't really think of it that way because I look at the Cavs and I look at the Raptors as kind of being in the same sphere, forgetting that, no, the Cavs have a lot more time um, and they can just make moves to hopefully make moves in the future. I like that. Like, like no one's ever won a championship as kind of the lead guy before they were 26. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And as much as the Cavs are ahead of schedule, there are going to be lumps. I, I think people focus so much on the transaction in today's NBA, and it's kind of forgot the way that teams historically have gone. Like most of the time you come up short in a series and the question is, okay, who can we trade for? or Who can we sign as a free agent? that will get us over the hump when really it's just that internal growth. Like the reason the Cavs made the leap this year is because of internal growth more than any changes they made. Like people weren't necessarily high on Lowry Markkinen and they traded what was kind of consensus their best player in Larry Nance Jr. for him. Uh, that would have been conceived as a net negative move. Uh, moving Torian Prince for Ricky Rubio. Everyone was like, hey, we, we just gave up our one three and D wing for a backup point guard. Where's the logic in that? And I, I think a similarity between the Cavs and the Raptors is they prioritize just getting talent, like get skill, yeah. get skill sets, regardless of what position they play. Uh, guys that can fill a need. It would, like the fact that Larry Markinen's playing at the three because they need spacing. Like that's that's an interesting chance to take. And, and once again, something that's made possible by Mobley and Allen being able to cover up for him on defense. But it's that kind of unconventional thinking or having five, six, nine guys on the floor at all times that just crash the boards and just outwork and out hustle guys and just play a more physical brand of basketball and teams are ready to deal with. Like those are the type of interesting zags that make a lot of sense because you can't always just have a perfect boilerplate. This is just, this is the way teams are conventionally made and we have to prioritize convention over talent. No, you you have to make the most of the talent that's available to you and sometimes get creative to make that work. Um, and, and the Cavs certainly have gotten creative. Uh, honestly, I'm going to be honest. If it, I, I wrote my piece about eight or 10 games into the season, really focusing on the Cavs and the Raptors specifically and, and what they were doing. And I did that on purpose because I was like, I need to see how this Laurie Markin and at the three situation works. <laughs> like, I need to. And, and, and part of that is I don't watch college basketball. I looked at a guy like Mobley and I was like, he's really frail like I get that everybody's talking about the defensive impact he can have right away but like let me see this and my goodness he's just been incredible to watch um he's absurd he's he's it's ludicrous um but let's talk about the six the race of the six like I've said and just talked about absolutely everything else but that um <laughs> where, okay what are your what is your thought what are your takes so it kind of looks like the the Celtics are no longer fighting with the Raptors and the Cavs for that six spot. They are fighting with the Bulls for that four seed. Um, mm. So so what do you think about that six spot? Maybe, maybe we can even say five, six. Do you think the top five are, you know, the teams that are up there already? Um, and do you think it's just up to the six spot now? I guess is the first I, question. I, I mean, that this was a tough weekend for that because I, I really felt if the Cavs were able to go out there and beat Chicago, then they're only a game back of them and they would have kind of the inside track on the tiebreaker there. Cause they had already won one game against the bulls. Um, I don't think it's necessarily set in stone. Like I could see a world where Chicago falls, although uh, them getting Alex Caruso back uh, last night against yeah. the Cavs is certainly helpful for them. 
Uh, he immediately transformed their defense, which no no surprise there, but makes it a little more tricky. They do have kind of a, a tougher schedule and, and quite a few road games here, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out for them. Um, but right now, I would probably give Toronto the nod in, in terms of who's most likely to get the sixth seed, uh, especially with Allen out indefinitely. Um, this weekend really changed my view on that, though, because I felt with Toronto being a little shorthanded, um, playing those games on the road, like the fact they won in Denver, third game in four nights in three different cities. Like, I, I think sometimes people forget the travel aspect of that. Like, that is a real, real testament to them. And Denver is such a tough place to play when you're that's, talking about. That's a like killer the, back-to-back. Like, if you're the, having with a the elevation, like that kills in Denver you. or Utah, that's it. That's like a scheduled loss. 100%. And uh, that was a, a real gutty win. Uh, beating Phoenix, uh, again, obviously Phoenix was missing guys, but that's still, like, that's that's a noteworthy win. So um, them getting those two wins, I, I really felt that both the Cavs and the Raptors were going to go winless this weekend, and Toronto sweeping the weekend makes things a lot more interesting. So now uh, Cleveland has a stretch here where they have five home games in a row. Uh, Ten of their last 15 are at home. I, I think Toronto has eight of their last 15 at home. Um, but this really might come down to that one game on, on March 24th between mm-hmm. Cleveland and Toronto to to determine who gets the sixth seed. And um, the one thing I'll say about the play-in is if the Cavs fall into it, and they have all of their guys back that are not out for the season, so I, I don't expect Colin Sexton to be back. I feel pretty good about their chances of, of at least getting that eight seed. Um, like we'll we'll see whether or not the the Brooklyn game is in Brooklyn and, and if Kyrie can play. But if they lose that one, I think they would beat Charlotte or Atlanta in, in a one game playoff at home. I, I think that they have more than enough if those guys are healthy. So. It's going to be a real, real test to see how much Garland and Mobley can cover for because Garland's already taken a step up covering up for the fact that Sexton and Rubio and Levert are out. And now Mobley's been doing the same thing, putting up 20 and 10 every single night with Jared Allen out, which uh, it's impressive. But I just don't know if it's enough to beat some of these better teams like Philly or or Miami or, or Chicago. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, okay, To be honest, when the Cavs beat the Raptors a week ago, I thought that was it. Me too. I thought I that too. it was done. Um, the Raptors have just been, like, looking at their schedule and trying to predict how that go. It has, it, it, all season has just been nonsense. Like, they had a stretch where their upcoming games were the Bulls, the Heat, the Hawks, and they, like, rattled off their best win streak. They won, like, seven or eight straight against teams that were legitimately good. I mean, the Hawks are question marks half of the time, but, you know, the Bulls and the, and the Heat are teams that have beaten the Raptors before. They're teams at the top of the conference. They're teams that you would expect would beat the Raptors. And then and they, they lose to Detroit, off. Orlando, and yeah. Cleveland. Like, and then they when, lose when, to, when, like, When they lost teams. those three games, and then they play in San Antonio with Pop having a chance to set the all-time wins record, I'm like, that's going to be a tough environment for mm. them. And then Phoenix, they win that. And then Denver, they win that. Like, it, they sweep this West Coast trip. Like, that's, that is the a Denver hell of a statement is, to make. The 
the Denver one was is honestly just like you said it right there, just the the elevation being in Denver on the second night of a back to back, your third game in four nights. And yes, the Nuggets were also tired. That was like their fifth game in seven nights or something. Um, so so they were obviously ridiculously tired as well. They were down Aaron Gordon, which I think is a huge help when you have giant wings on your team. They just yeah. don't really have anyone to guard the Raptors. The Raptors just look bigger than them across the board, which is always funny to say because the Raptors still don't have a center. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Those DeMarcus Cousins minutes were, were money for Toronto. So I'm not I'm not mad at it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but being able to pull that win out without Fred Van Vliet when this team has looked listless without Fred Van Vliet, um, I, I just think is a testament to 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 Siakam and to Scotty. And I, I do want to talk about that rookie of the year race in just a little bit, but it was just so much fun that I can't give up on this Raptors team. Every time I'm like, all right, you know what? Like they, they had the six seed. The Celtics would just not lose a game. The Celtics are on a, on a run and, and look terrifying. Um, and then they lose the six seed. They get back into the seven and it's like, okay, they can kind of still punch back, but then they just start to lose games against Detroit and, and the magic. And you're like, all right, this give up on this team. And then they go out and they do that. So predicting the Raptors future is just not something I'm going to do because they'll do <laughs> the opposite of what anybody expects. But I agree with you for the Raptors as well. If they're, I think that they'll still finish in the top eight, even if they don't make the top six, I still pick them to at least win one of the two games against those bottom teams. Number one, Kyrie Irving can't play regardless of if the game is in Toronto or Brooklyn, unless rules yeah. change suddenly. Um, and, and Kevin Durant, we, we know what he can do, but if you don't have Kyrie, if the Raptors are healthy, if the Raptors have everybody there, I don't hate their chances in, in just one game. Um, I, I don't hate their chances in that one. And then you also have the Hawks and the Hornets, who, yes, beat the Raptors by like a trillion points um, each. The but they're beat- capable of playing defense. Yeah. Like, like and, I, and then it, the Raptors were without OG in that one, and it possibly frightened one of them, I think. I don't know. I don't remember hmm. anymore. Um, but, yeah, I, I would still pick the Raptors to beat the Hawks or the Hornets. I think that the Raptors are a better team. But then the the Hornets and the Hawks could just get hot in a game. And we've seen the Raptors could just go ice cold. Like there are nights where they're hitting everything, like the Suns game, and they just look unstoppable. But that is not something that I want to bet on. And I think (laughs) if I'm just going to go with like, oh, variables and three-point shots, the Hawks and the Hornets – are much more likely to get hot in a single game than the Toronto Raptors. So it's scary times. And I really do hope they get the six seed because I, I think the Cavs are a much safer bet to beat those teams than the Raptors. Although I think the Raptors are better. I just don't trust them um, yeah. because they're not to be trusted. Yeah, that, no, that, that's understandable. I mean, uh, I think the Cavs just have, uh, assuming Allen's back, like they just have yeah. such a baseline with their defense and like that's one of the surprising things to me. I thought Toronto's offense and defense for the year would be like Switched. swapped. Yeah. Like I, I thought that they would be a really good defensive team that helps them get out in transition and really struggle to score on the half court. And and they've just brought a different level of effort uh, on, on a nightly basis. Like uh, when when they're on and they're just playing so physical, and you, you got someone like Thad Young that's kind of breathed life into that second unit. Um, that's a that's a team that really would suck to play. Like, if it was a Chicago Toronto first round series, I think I picked Toronto. 
because I, I I don't think there's a lot of teams that want to play a seven game series against the Raptors and, and with how unique they are, how physical they are. Like even if you beat Toronto, I don't know if you're winning the next series because they they beat the living hell out of you. Like it, it's they're, it, so they're a really 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 physical team to play, and yeah. uh, it reminds me a lot of Miami in that way where it's just like they they just blitz the hell out of you, and and that's what changed the game. Uh, in Cleveland there where Jared Allen once he went out there all of a sudden wasn't anybody that could set a screen for Darius Garland like I, I love Mobley but the one area that he really struggles with is yeah. setting screens he he just his habit is slipping which was helpful because it's the outlet for Garland when that trap comes but when you have Toronto just blitzing the hell and they're trapping with two six nine guys and then you have three others kind of lurking, it's if you beat that initial line of defense, you can score on them. But that initial line of defense is going to cause a ton of turnovers. I'm I'm with you in that I also predicted that the Raptors would be a better defensive team. You're just looking at it. But I also think it's a testament to Mobley <laughs> that the Cavs are just, I mean, obviously this good on defense. It's really hard to have a rookie play that amount of minutes and have such a giant role and field a, a competitive defense at all times. Because rookies they, aren't rookies are never good at defense. Like, rookies are notoriously good. bad. They are good. You'll have guys that are good at defense for a rookie. Yeah. And maybe play good individual defense, but, you know, fall asleep off ball or or kind of make mistakes. And like, I, I think that's where Scotty probably falls into. Like, um, yeah. so going into the draft process, my big board was I had Kate and Mobley number one. Like I had them in a tier of their own uh, mm-hmm. one, one A and one B. And like this was going back to February before I knew the Cavs were even up there. Um, those were my top guys. And after that, I had Jalen Green and Scotty. Because when I watched Scotty, like to me, he was the clear fourth best player in this draft and someone that I was really happy. Like if the Cavs stuck at six or or kind of were, were in that range, I was like, I'm going to feel really good about adding Scotty Barnes. Like that that was the, the guy that I kept kind of um, just, you know, supporting because I, I felt like his defense and the tape of what he did in college was just so horrific. Like it was just, he was a nightmare. Like yeah. he, he does... Absolutely everything is great instincts, but for Mobley to come in and like he's got a legitimate shot at an all defensive team as a rookie. Like there's this has never happened like since Duncan, basically. And what what he has done is just completely exceeded my expectations. And uh it's been really, really fun. But even an optimist like myself, uh I was far too low both on him and this team. An optimist like yourself. Would you consider yourself a Cavs optimist? Oh, most definitely. Okay. I, I, I think it, it helps that I, I am removed uh, from the larger Cleveland sports scene. So I don't have yeah. kind of a cumulative uh, heartache and, and heartbreak there. <laughs> um, I, 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 I like to consider myself process orientated. Like I don't like to wallow. Like if things are going poorly, I don't just sit there and talk about like everything that's gone wrong. It's okay. What's the next step from here? Which, which is helpful when you're going through a rebuild, right? Like uh, my favorite compliment I got for the podcast last year was that I got people excited while predicting 27 wins. Like you, you find <laughs> the interesting stories within there. And this year I picked 37 wins and I, I've, that that felt really optimistic and turned out I, I was too low on the team. But, uh, you know, it, it's it. 
I, I find that's the best way to go about it because at the end of the day, like if you sit around talking about like the Kevin Love contract last year and that's all you talked about on the podcast, Ugh. like no one wants to listen no. to that. That's not interesting. Like it's, I'm trying to both sell the team and also sell reasons to listen to my podcast. Like <laughs> that's, that's really my mentality there. I'm, I, at the end of the day, I'm very selfish. <laughs> that's very fair and a great way to put it. Um, okay. So I, I do want to, I do want to talk about, okay, let's pretend the Cavs and the Raptors have made the playoffs. You mentioned a Toronto Chicago potential matchup. I wouldn't mind seeing the Bulls. Um, I think that they're probably the weakest of the top five teams. Mm -hmm. Um, they're the team that I probably most want to face. I think I was looking at, um, I'm sure it's changed, but uh, a week ago I was doing a podcast and their record against teams that were above 600. Do you know what it was? Zero. <laughs> Two and 12. Yeah. Yeah. That's... <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they're a team that, you know, wouldn't mind facing. Um, but I'm selfishly, not selfishly, um, but I really would like to see the Bucks, And I know that feels ludicrous to say, um, that you would want to go up against Giannis. Um, and, but I think the way that I look at this season, it's like, I don't necessarily care if the Raptors win around or lose in the first round. I think making the playoffs is very important, um, for this team, at least trying to make the playoffs, um, is, is very important for this team. Whether they lose in the first round or win in the first round doesn't really matter. Um, it's about building on it. Like I don't, necessarily want to be the Hawks where it's like, oh yeah, look, look at how well we did in the playoffs last year. And now we're a 10 seed. Like that's not something that interests me at all. Um, so I don't care about the results. So it's not about facing the easiest team. I look at the Bucks as sort of a measuring stick. The Raptors mm. have played the Bucks very well this season. They're three and zero against them, but that's not what really interests me. It's just how well they've been able to guard and I guess it matters on like what is Brooke Lopez's status when can he be back um because I think that the Bucks are really shaky without Brooke Lopez I know a lot of people are penciling him in as like maybe the best team in the Eastern Conference uh the safest bet to make the the finals is what I hear a lot I don't think that that's true I think the fact that they have been kind of shaky this season is something that people need to be paying a little bit more attention to I know people were talking about the record last year not being as great and you know them understanding that they can turn on a switch that is different when you have um, Brooke Lopez anchoring your defense versus when you have everybody funneling guys over to Bobby Portis. I just think that that wow. changes everything. So much Serge Ibaka slander here. Eh? This is, I this love Serge. I love Serge Ibaka. Um, but Serge Ibaka is also a guy with back injuries. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, older and not particularly healthy. And we know... Um, as, as Raptor fans, we're very aware of how quickly Serge Ibaka can look ancient um, in a playoff series. Can, so, can I play sports psychiatrist with you? Because I, I'm yeah. recognizing something in your explanation that I see in myself. Do you, because I feel similarly where it's like, you know what? I wouldn't mind playing like Milwaukee or Miami. And the reason for it for me is you're not going to get anyone making fun of you for losing to those teams. Like, there's going to be less angst in the fan base. And, like, so much of what I think about is, like, what is going to make Cavs fans less angsty so that I don't have that in my mentions? And going up against Milwaukee, it's the defending champs. If you can be competitive in a series and push them and you lose, no one's going to lose their minds over that. And to me, I think that's what makes those matchups attractive versus someone like Chicago where... 
hey, you know what? This team doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. And the only player that does have playoff experience is very negative playoff experience. This this could be a fun matchup. We might be able to win this. And if you go out and lose that, then everyone loses their minds. Is, is there some truth to that? Or is that just me projecting? Because that's the way I feel. Because that is 100% how I feel. There's a lot of truth to that. And it's the way that I think about a lot of things. But... I think it's a little bit different this year for the Raptors because I think mm-hmm. that that's true for any series that they play. That's fair. That's, so, uh, that's so a very like, fair point. Like, and I, I think you're also right. I like, agree. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. But like, even if the Raptors did lose to the Bulls, I don't think anyone would walk away being like disappointing season. Couldn't even beat the Bulls in the playoffs. I mean, that's would fair. Be like, yeah, the belt, the Bulls are better than the Raptors. And, and what you're saying for the individual matchup, I, I think holds a, a like, it's it's true. Like I, I think if you were looking to build a team to be disruptive to Milwaukee, you would have a bunch of six nine guys that are all very strong and good defensively yeah. and uh pick off passing lanes like uh Chris Middleton has been living up to the mid in his last name uh for a lot of the season. Oh, wow. And I I don't know if that's coasting or if it's the Olympic hangover or whatever the case may be, but I don't think he, it can be coasting. Like he's not like I, I feel like there's certain players that can coast. Like I was in a spaces this morning where they were talking about Chris Middleton and his like playoff successes or something. I don't know. They're comparing it to Clay to Clay Thompson. And I'm just <laughs> like, even it they were like, well, he's a champion and da 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 da. And I'm like, even in his like championship run, and they were talking about the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm like, do you see what he shot in that? Like, yeah. are we like, what are we talking about? Before then, we were like, Giannis needs help. It wasn't until like the finals came around and he had some like big moments there. But I'm like, he wasn't particularly good in that playoffs run either. And then the year before in the bubble, he had one great game against the Heat. Outside <laughs> of that, he was terrible as well. Um, and against the Raptors, I feel like he's been fairly invisible this season, especially like in any game they played against the Raptors, forget the the two playoff series that they've had. They've been able to neutralize him. Chris Middleton is always someone that I've just, mid is is perfect. Uh, Great name, James. But (laughs) uh, to me, I I agree with you. There's a little bit of that. I think the Bucks are a great barometer. I don't think the, the, the Sixers are because yes, we don't have anyone to guard Joel Embiid. Thank you for, for sharing with me information that I've already know. Uh, so I don't particularly care about that series. I don't find it very interesting. Um, I, I guess you could see like how well can the Raptors stop a guy like Joel Embiid? You know, how badly do they need a center? Like, can you do this sort of like OG Scott? Like, can you play maybe OG Scott? Like, can you throw bodies at him? I think that there may be something interesting there, but I I find it less appealing than like the Giannis and the, and the Bucks conversation, how well the Raptors can match up there. I think the heat is another good barometer for the Raptors. I'm not so interested in the heat because you mentioned it and I tweeted it this morning as well. The heat are to the Raptors, what the Raptors are to everyone else, which is incredibly yeah. dangerous to play. I just don't yeah. want to see them. They are dangerously looming. Uh, yeah. They like to point out. Yeah, no. Um, the thing about Miami is I feel like they have such a coaching edge over the rest of like the top six. And by top six, I'm including Brooklyn instead of Cleveland. Like I'm, I'm swapping them as the, this top six team. Okay, um, no, no offense to Toronto and Cleveland, but I, I think those teams are, are kind of uh, a, a tier above right now. Um, 
I think Spo is just a much better coach than Steve Nash or Bud or like uh, Doc Rivers. Like, I just, I trust Spo so much more and they have so much savvy. They have so much uh, experience. Like, that every single player on that team is a winner that, that has experience winning. And just adding Kyle Lowry to that mix is just another level of that. So I, I think it's Milwaukee or Miami coming out of the Eastern Conference. I, I just That's feel fair. like... From a chemistry, continuity standpoint, experience, coaching advantage, like I, I just think those are the teams that, that I give a nod to. Who would you like to see the Cavs face? And are you coming from the same mindset as me, which is I don't want to. I, I would rather play a team we're losing to. You could just kind of shrug your shoulders at, or do you want to see the uh, the Cavs possibly pull one out? I would like to see them try to pull one out because I, and I said this even when they were good. Like part of why I wanted Karis Levert and why I wanted to see some of those deadline moves, even though I feel pretty strongly that this team is still a few years away from contending. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason was I wanted them to have enough tools to go out there and fail. That if they would lose in a playoff series, they had the help around them, but it's the individual growth that's still required for Darius Garland to learn how to navigate certain defenses or or Jared Allen finding uh, new ways to be impactful or Evan Mobley discovering what he needs to add to his game to compete on the playoff level. Like, I didn't want the reason they lose to be, well, Garland is literally the only ball handler because everyone's dead. Yeah. Or we we just didn't have the pieces around them to supplement that talent. I wanted the reason for them to lose would be the growth that is still required from the young guys. So I think any of these kind of measuring stick series would be great. And the more kind of within their weight class that team is, the more you're able to assess that. Because if it is a team like Miami, I think what they could just kind of throw at Cleveland uh, might just be so overwhelming that uh, it's hard to get real lessons from versus if they play a team like Chicago, okay, like you've got really good point of uh, attack defenders, but there's some weak spots on the interior. You also have to learn how to navigate someone that's really good at grifting and drawing fouls and DeMar DeRozan and also a really explosive player in Zach Levine. Like, I think there's a lot of left. Slows down a lot in the playoffs. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Which is why Philly is a second round out at best. um, With uh, big game James. Uh, He's uh, (laughs) going to continue doing what he's always done in the playoffs. But um, I, I just think from kind of an interest standpoint, I, I'd like to play Chicago. But at yeah. this point, I, I'm getting less greedy and I'm just like, survive, survive, make make the play. And I, I just, I, I peeked at Twitter as we were doing this and I just saw now Dean Wade has been added to the questionable list for tomorrow's mm-hmm. game. So just, you know, one one more player as Karis Levert and Larry Markinen are, are both uh, questionable as well. Wow, D. Wade, um, Cavs legend. Cavs legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, who, like, I was watching, what, what game was I watching? It might have even been Raptors Cavs, where I didn't have my glasses on, and I was like, Chandler Parsons? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, for God, Dean Wade. <laughs> I was like, let me go put my glasses back on. He's um, sneaky good. Sneaky good, undrafted, <laughs> fine, Dean Wade. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's a good defender. Legendary. He fills in. He has somehow started eight games more this year than he did last. Sorry, nine games more this year than he did last year, which uh, I thought last year was unprecedented bad injury luck for the Cavs. But another one, uh, as DJ Khaled would say. Unfortunate. Um, 
So, okay, that so I'm stuck on the, you know what? Okay, so when the James Harden, Joel and B trade happened and they had their first couple of games, in my head, I didn't take in, they were beating the Knicks. And yep. I probably should have tempered my expectation because I was watching this and I was like, oh yeah, no, they're scared. Oh, this is it. This is it. I'm like, I was terrified of them. And I'm like, this, this is the scariest team in the East. Like this team terrifies me. And then they played the Nets and I was like, oh yeah, this is what James Harden does in big games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. Yep. There's no reason to be terrified by this team. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, happens with with the Sixers in the playoffs because I think the Cavs and the Raptors are sitting real comfortable uh real comfortably right now whereas those top six teams that you just mentioned time is taken for them and for a lot of them if they don't make at least the conference finals that is a very failed season right and and so that's going to be really fun to watch because I've kind of been of the mind that yeah the east is good but the east isn't great Right. Like the two best teams still look like they're probably coming out of the Western Conference. I I just don't know that I believe it like the the Heat are probably the best team to me, but I still like look at their half court offense and some issues. I remember a game against the Raptors. I'm like, it's so like them generating any points just feels incredibly laborious. Like if it's not Jimmy Butler grifting uh, for calls <laughs> right now, it doesn't seem like they're able to really get anything. And it just felt like, and and that granted was without Kyle Lowry and as a Raptor fan, as a Kyle Lowry fan, I know how much he can sort of change that, but it's not like the Raptors have ever really had a great half court offense either with Kyle Lowry at the helm. So yeah. Um, and, and like, um, and maybe Victor Oladipo changes it because now they have a guard. I haven't even watched how Victor Oladipo's really fit into their team. Um, but maybe having guard who the, can the answer is barely. Okay. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't watched that. I haven't seen how it's been able to fit, but I'm like, yeah, maybe if they have another guard who can attack the basket, like maybe if they have some pressure, but it just felt like them generating any sort of offense was way too much of a task that when the game slowed down and they would have to create in the half court, I kind of feel like it's still a little shaky. Um, mm-hmm. but they're still my best bet um to to maybe make the finals. It was initially the Sixers until I was reminded what James Harden does in big games. Yeah. How that can really look. Uh so it's going to be really, it's gonna be difficult. Some of these teams are just incredibly flawed. So I think the East is really good. I don't think the East is as great as people pretend because I think those top six teams all still have major holes. Um, they do. Yeah, for, for sure. And uh, I, I think some of it is they beat up on one another, but wh- yeah. whether it's injuries or just kind of flawed rosters, I, I do think each team in the East kind of has that fatal flaw, which I think is really interesting. Like, as you said, Miami's half-court offense, Milwaukee's interior defense, mm-hmm. Philly's um, kind of tendencies to crap their pants in big games. I mean, Embiid literally did have the... Uh, the <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had that issue for an entire play off series uh literally uh chicago bulls <laughs> la- lack of experience boston celtics don't have a point guard and uh I-, I like robert williams but still i i think their center rotation is a little bit weaker brooklyn's got their their issues uh i don't think we need to go over that uh Tur- toronto uh doesn't have a center and-, and sometimes struggles to generate points in the half court cleveland has limited ball handlers like all of these teams have some flaw which i think is really interesting because it gets back to 
the way basketball was when I was growing up, where it's kind of styles make fights and how the standings break out and what matchup you have yeah. might determine whether or not you make the finals or are first round out. Like, I love that aspect of it, but I agree. I don't think there's a, a clear-cut dominant team, and it, there's just a lot of parity at very, very good instead of great. Right. And then, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's the, the tic-tac-toe of, the, of the, like the playoffs is going to be so much fun. Um, but a lot of teams are going to be really, really sad. And I think the Cavs and the Raptors have kind of protected themselves as those teams because they're they're not looking at this season as being their year, but possibly in the future. And, and maybe the Bulls, I guess, as well. But I don't know. The Bulls, the Bulls might be out in the first round. And I think that that should be a disappointing uh, year for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be surprised yeah, yeah, if the Bulls really, make like- it to the second round, in all honesty. I really would. They, they, they went all in, all in on a first Boy. round appearance, and then Zach Levine leaves in free agency. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I want to pivot to the rookie of the year race. We've, we've been talking about them this entire time. Evan Mobley has been an absolute delight to watch. He's honestly doesn't even make sense to me as a basketball player, but I don't want to talk about how great Evan Mobley is. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm a Raptors fan. And I'm on my crusade right now trying to push the Scotty Barnes for Rookie of the Year. I don't want to hear that it's not realistic. I do not want to hear that Evan Mobley defensively, that the cap there is much higher than anything else. And we don't even need to be comparing their offense. I'm not here for any of that talk. I'm here for why Scotty Barnes should be Rookie of the Year. So can I can I take, and we've talked about it already, his screen setting is one thing. He's very... Uh, frail. He's not as strong. What are some of the drawbacks in Evan Mobley's game that I can use in my war chamber to um, to fight my fight that Scotty Barnes should be Rookie of the Year? Oh my goodness. You're looking for me to narc on my guy, Evan Mobley. You're a that's, double that's... agent. As a Canadian Cavs fan, I feel like there's there's some double agentness happening here. You know what? I've I've done so much to debunk Raptors propaganda over the years. It's it's about time that I contribute. Um, <laughs> if if I'm looking to to kind of poke some holes or, or areas for improvement for Mobley, um, ball security I, I think would be one thing because there are times where uh, he he's kind of in traffic and Garland will get the ball to him and it doesn't get credited as a turnover for him because the way that that's recorded for the NBA is. Uh, if the guy catching the pass drops it and, and someone else picks it up, that's a turnover on, on the guard. So I, I think at least one or two of Garland's uh, turnovers per game are, are the responsibility of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Um, definitely room to, to you know, uh, improve as a defensive rebounder. Um, a stronger defensive rebounder than Scotty. Uh, and even there, I, I can't help but uh, have my bias crack through. But, you know, I, I do think that there, there's opportunities for him to be a little bit more assertive when he's boxing out. Um, but I, I would say kind of ball security, uh, whether it's him trying to create for himself uh, or, or catching, um, and then just kind of the physical components, whether it's setting screens or, or defensive rebounding, are the main areas for improvement for Mobley. It's honestly like talking about Mobley and Barnes, not uh, I know this is all supposed to be crapping on Caden and, and, and Mobley um, to, to prop up Scotty Barnes. But just uh, let me break. Let me break this a little bit. It's been so much fun to watch this rookie class this season because I feel like every rookie has some element in them where you're like, that's not how a rookie should be playing. Like, this no. isn't like 
Cade's control of a game. I'm just like his poise and his control and his able, like his ability to just sort of set everything up and see everything in the way that he does. I'm like, this is like, he's a vet. This is not someone who's been in the league for like five years. Like, what are you talking about? Um, Mobley, we talked about his defense already. Scotty, his size, his strength. I keep going back to that game against the Nets where he just like, took the ball out of Katie's hands. He was like, no, I'm the adult and you're the teenager here actually. Um, but also like Scotty's versatility. We've seen him play point guard. We've seen him play center. Um, and yeah, sure. To varying degrees. I love how we talk about Scotty as a point guard and we're talking about him. Like he's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to crap on Scotty. This isn't the moment to do that. He was phenomenal in that game and he's phenomenal in all games, but also his ability to play center. Um, going up against Jakob Pertl, who is one of the better defensive centers in the league and really being able to body him and get inside his ability to finish through contact. He's just so incredibly strong. Um, and that's not even talking about, you know, the, the giddies who triple doubles out there and, and, and Franz Wagner and all of these other guys, but this rookie class is so much fun to watch because every single one of them has an element to their game that just does not make sense for a rookie to have at this stage in their career. Yeah, and I like celebrating what guys do more than kind of highlighting what they don't do, especially yeah, of course. this is actually— this I just is my wanted to crap on Mobley for like two seconds as a joke. Oh, I, I, I respect <laughs> that. This is actually my rule, and I, I think it's made me a little bit of a better basketball fan, is when guys are on their rookie contract, focus on what they can do. Because like so much of it, and I think you see it even with Jalen Green— uh, some of these kind of high-volume guys that haven't yeah. really figured out winning. Like, your first four years were always about, like, trying to figure out what you can and can't get away with and adding to your game and just kind of the incremental growth. I mean, look how bad Kyle Lowry was his first four years or Jimmy Butler. Like, all of these guys, we, we, we try to make, like, these definitive statements about what they can and can't be as a player. And really, those are second contract conversations about, okay, so we, we've given them that extension uh, the the four years are up. Where do they fit in? How malleable are they uh, within the team building construct? I, I think it's better to focus on like celebrating what they can do and, and highlighting that early on. And one thing that I don't think comes up enough when we talk about Scotty Barnes is his attitude and his energy. Like that guy loves being on the basketball court so much. And I think when you have a, a veteran team. And guys like Van Vliet and Siakam and uh, players that have gone through, you know, the, the the wars of an NBA season and made deep playoff runs. Having a guy that approaches every single game like it's his favorite thing to do is something that just breathes life into a regular season lineup. And I think that's so important for a team like Toronto that has dealt with so many injuries and has been shorthanded, uh, whether it's... Uh, as a result of who's available or Nick Nurse's coaching decisions, like uh, having that guy that kind of helps you get through those tough spots, I think that's such a huge advantage. And and Scotty's personality is just one of the things I absolutely love about him. Um, this is one of my favorite rookie classes. I was so excited going into it, thinking that the the Cavs had a chance to add one of Cade Green, Mobley, or Scotty. Uh, I wasn't that in on Jalen Suggs, but. Um, if it was everyone else was off the board, I, I wouldn't necessarily hate it. Um, but it, it's just such a special rookie class, and I, I think it's going to have a major impact on the league. I, I think it's going to be very similar to uh, the, the LeBron draft, where yeah, just yeah. so many franchises at the bottom got a guy that is, are, is going to help kind of lead them into a new era. 
Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you on that. And, and, you know, to what you were saying earlier about focusing on what guys can do as opposed to what they can't do. Now, someone who admittedly kind of ignored for a good chunk of his career, paid more attention. I probably watched more Cavs games this year than in any year since LeBron James left combined um, is Darius Garland, who it feels like the narrative around him has completely shifted this year um, as he's become an all-star can you sort of speak to how he's able to really make what the Cavs do on offense gel and work? This is this is my son. This is <laughs> I will say I was so adamant that Garland was going to become this for the last couple of years that yeah. if he didn't, he was going to shake my confidence in my ability to evaluate basketball. Like I I was like, am I really being a homer? Is that what this is? And um, I, I think there were just always these signs where the flashes would be there, the the vision as a passer, his ability to kind of generate his own shot. And the issue early on was just kind of confidence. Like he wasn't taking the open shots when they were available. He was looking to pass first and get into the lane. And last season, there was a progression where all of a sudden he seemed to understand that by being more assertive myself, it's going to open up opportunities for me to create for others. And there was really that stretch in April of last year where he played 15 games. He averaged 21 points and seven assists. Mm -hmm. And what was so encouraging about that was he was doing that at the same time that Colin Sexton was playing well. Like Garland would go out and have a 27 and 10 game and Sexton would have 30. And to me, I, I was so encouraged by that because I'm like, this is something that's scalable. Like similar to Steph Curry, where you can put Garland into any lineup and he can play on and off ball. He'll pick his spots. He fits with basically any player. Like I, I don't think there is a single player you could put him within the league that he wouldn't fit well next to because he is able to play on and off ball. He's able to play with another point guard like Ricky Rubio. And from a team building perspective, that's great. Because, as I said earlier, you don't know what talent's going to become available to you in the trade or free agency market. And it's possible that the consolidation move is a guard. Like, let's say hypothetically DeJounte Murray hits the market and, and the Cavs go out and they offer Laverta, Coro, Sexton, first round pick or whatever to add DeJounte to the mix. You already have proof of concept that Garland works next to another point guard because the of how well so he would work with Ricky Rubio. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, like, I'm just like putting that in. They have so many assets. They, they really do. Uh, <laughs> it, it helps. And it also helps that this is a like one of the differences between Cleveland and like another small market team like Indiana is Cleveland's never been afraid to pay. Like they've never yeah. lost a guy because they just weren't willing to pay. They had the second richest owner in the realizing league. Realizing that now as a Laker, like, oh, I had it nice. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Second richest owner in the league. I mean, uh, they're they're so uh, willing to spend that they even bought my podcast. Like it's uh, it's a great place to be. Um, but you know, like uh, it's it's really encouraging because they do have so many assets, and you know they will pay to retain talent. So uh, it, it is a, a really really encouraging place to be in, and the kind of scalability and the malleability of both Garland and Mobley in particular, like you can do so many interesting things from a roster construction standpoint that I really do feel like they enable you to go out and pursue the best talent available because you can have some level of confidence that they work together. Like I was adamant that Mobley was a four uh, coming in and I was like, you know what? Like this could really work with Jared Allen. Like I, I understand it's unconventional, 
Uh, but look at Chris Bosch or Kevin Garnett or guys in that mold. Yeah, maybe they might close as a five. And Mobley already plays all his back center minutes, um, like 15 minutes a night at, at the five. And that can be something that works with the second unit, like really this kind of optimized, weaponized Mobley. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like having two bigs like that, that can switch, that can like d- defend all these positions that really change how teams like build their roster. If yeah. these guys hit their peaks and everything goes as planned, that is so unique. I, I just love the idea of changing how teams play you versus changing your style and your roster to fit and counter some other team. Like I, I, I want to be the, the tone setter from a team building standpoint. And I, I completely agree, which is why I, I wrote about the Cavs. That's why I loved it. I love the idea of playing Mobley and, and Allen together. And that's all kind of unlocked because of how unique both of those guys are, especially just Mobley as your sort of utility knife, him being able, I think on the offensive end, you have a, a guard like Darius Garland being able to make it work. You have a guy like Lori Markinen who can space the floor for you, who just adds to this sort of behemoth and makes it look really weird when it's on the court together. Um, uh, but also not hurt defensively by it as well, because you have Allen and Mobley who are just so, so good and can switch out and can guard along the perimeter. Um, but you also always have a seven footer just at the basket there too. So like, yeah, try to, you know, score inside on us, but our guys yeah. can also switch out to you. It's, Like, if you have a guy like Mobley, I don't think it even matters whether you play them at the four or five. Maybe I'm just brainwashed by Masai Ujiri's, like, positionless basketball. But I'm like, what the Cavs are doing is innovative, and it's changing things. And the rest of the league are going to have to keep up with them as opposed to them sort of having to fit their roster to play whatever other team because of how special the talent that they have is. And that's a full credit to to a guy like Evan Mobley and, and to Jared Allen as well. And I think that's the real parallel between the Cavs and the Raptors and why I find this so interesting. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I think what it really comes down to is everyone looked at the small ball revolution and some people are like, okay, like you just have to go small and that's the way to make it work. The actual evolution is having five guys that can do everything, but with size. And I think you're seeing more and more of these larger players coming in that have ball handling ability, that um, really kind of understand how to play modern basketball. And I, Everyone, I think Everyone, check out my article on Basketball News called The Long Ball Revolution, which is talking about exactly what Justin is talking about right now. Hey, it was a great article. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> that you plugged it. Uh, I, I was sharing it in our uh, Chase Down Discord. Uh, everyone seemed to enjoy it. So absolutely <laughs> check that you. out. But yeah, I think that's what it really comes down to. And, uh, you know, like the the other nice thing is I think Cleveland and Toronto are both teams that own their mistakes and adjust quickly. Like they don't dwell on it. Like they, the Cavs gave up a second round pick for Drummond. It didn't work out. You make an adjustment. The, the, the Raptors have made adjustments on the fly a lot and kind of do rebuilds within like the, these little shadow teams and stealth things. I'm, I'm very appreciative. Thank you so much, Masai Jiri, that uh, you guys didn't trade for Maxi at the deadline last year. That would have made <laughs> Toronto a very terrifying team moving forward. But I, I still think when you have Masai and you have Bobby, um, it just you have to have so much confidence as a fan because you know they're going to be aggressive. You know they're always looking to be better than just a, a middle-tier team and willing to make those consolidation moves when they become available. So uh, I think the the Raptors have absolutely grown up and become a model franchise. And if I can get on my soapbox for one moment here, 
Of course. I, I think there needs to be more appreciation for Chris Bosh. Because I mm. think Raptors fans sometimes act like the organization he left is the organization they currently have. And I feel like Chris Bosh leaving, um, abandoning Jose Calderon and Bargnani and all those guys, I think it forced Toronto to grow up in some ways, similar to what happened with the Cavs. Like, I, I think they grew up after the LeBron experiences and really kind of tried to prioritize culture and team building and, and growing through the draft and uh, really emphasizing player development and utilizing the G League and all these things that you need to do when you're not in a glamour market, uh, which Toronto should be a glamour market, let's be honest, but uh, Americans have some issues with anything from outside of their country. So, you know, no. it's... It, that's that's their own choice. The, that's their own loss there. But uh, I, I do think we uh, had we had uh, who was it? Who uh, Steve Francis cry uh, at the idea that like he have to play in Vancouver because it's so much colder than uh, where he's from, which is Baltimore, which is like no, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Could you yeah, imagine if Vancouver had a team now with like the money that's in that city, like mm. that that. <laughs> that would be like Scottsdale for NBA players. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I agree with you. I think if I'm going to give credit to, to Chris Bosch, um, you know, Brian That, that hurt you saying that sentence. <laughs> I, I could hear the pain. I melt there a little bit. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it, it, Brian Calendula, what, traded for Sean Marion? Um, to hopefully make the playoffs and miss the playoffs, had the experiment with Andrea Bargnani at the three, uh, trying to, he, he, you know what, Brian Colangelo is what paved the way for Lori Markinen, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley there by, by putting together Chris Bosch, Jermaine O'Neal, and Andrea Bargnani um, as the Raptors front court. Um, but no, all of those sort of failures uh, really did push Brian Colangelo out. He couldn't keep Chris Bosch and um, things changed at the top. And that's what ushered in, um, you know, the Masai Ujiri era. All of it is connected. I agree. And I, I do think Chris Bosch deserves credit. I, I think Chris Bosch gets hated on far too much from this franchise. Um, I'm actually a Chris Bosch fan because he was the only bright spot in a very, you know, dark decade. He was never my favorite player, <laughs> but um, I, I do love and appreciate Chris Bosch because he was so important in those in-between years between the, the Vince Carter years and the, and the We the North era. So I, I'm with you. I think Chris Bosch deserves some more credit. Absolutely. it's uh, He's always one of my favorite players. And, and part of what I love about Mobley is you, you kind of see the influence of guys like Bosch and, and KG in particular in mm-hmm. his game. And it's just... It's so much fun having a guy like this come into a league that's actually ready to use him. Like, I I think that's one of the biggest differences is you used to have all these players come in and teams weren't willing to embrace what makes them special. And you know what? Even someone like Fred Van Vliet, I don't know if he would have got a fair shake in in other eras. And uh, what he's done this season is one of that was one of my biggest mistakes from preseason evaluations is I looked at Fred Van Vliet as someone that had never been efficient throughout his entire career, hot and cold streaks. And all of a sudden he's losing that playmaker that would make everything easier for him in Kyle Lowry. And the fact that he has stepped up in the way that he has and shouldered this load and played that many minutes and everything he's done this year, like, um, yeah, I I was a fan of him, but I I thought I, I picked one disappointing player from each conference that I thought was wasn't going to live up to expectations, and I thought Fred Van Vliet was going to be very similar to who of the he entire was the year East? before. 
Yeah, yeah. I it wasn't like the most disappointing. I wanted to like, you know, make one pick. And I, I said Raptors, Fred Van Vliet because Raptors I, Twitter villain. I was correct actually. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, you know what? He's he's <laughs> gonna once again have another inefficient year without Kyle Lowry next to him, and he's gonna disappoint. My pick for the West was a little more accurate. I picked Michael Porter Jr. because I, I didn't think that mm-hmm. he was ready to step yeah. up without Jamal Murray, and he did not step up before he went down. Yeah. So uh that worked out. Fred proved me wrong, and, and I got to give him a tip of the cap there. <laughs> bringing it full circle. One other point to bring it full circle. Back to the Chris Bosch thing that I was just thinking about. At the top, remember how I talked about the the overhyping of those Toronto Raptors teams and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan's play, you know, in the playoffs versus uh, LeBron James? I feel like the mm-hmm. same thing has happened with Chris Bosch, where there's a remembering of Chris Bosch as a better player as a Raptor than he was because of how great he was with the cat with uh, the cast, uh, with the Heat. Um, you know, because he, he was the their defensive anchor he played the five with the heat he spaced the floor he was kind of you know the first version of a small ball five who well who could space the floor and and shoot the three ball he did that he was great he had a perfect role he had a perfect fit and people forget that he was kind of DeMar DeRozan stretched for the Raptors like he did not play defense (laughs) he did not space the floor like none of that existed so the remembering of Chris Bosh um, as you know, the heat version uh, as a Raptor is just not, not the case, not the case. And I feel like he gets some of that DeMar DeRozan in, uh, shine, uh, that DeMar's getting with the, uh, the bulls now where it's like, yeah, he's, he's a much better player than he was with the Raptors. Um, Two, 2009, 2010 was pretty rough. He, uh, he very, very clearly checked down and the defense dropped Ooh. off. Uh, I, I don't think his defense was ever great. But at the same time, you were the I, I thought he had ranked defense every single year. I can't yeah, believe it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Like it, he he would play defense at times, but like bringing it full circle once again. Like the incredible thing with Evan Mobley is I've always said like big men probably take about until they're 24, 25 years old to really put it together on the defensive end where they understand like a point guard for the defense, I need to be that vocal leader. I need to be the guy that's calling everything out. And you just need experience. Like, you need reps to be able to understand all of that stuff. So for Mobley to do that at 20 years old is ridiculous. And a lot of credit needs to go out to his family. I mean, his dad was one of his coaches at USC, uh, basketball family, and just someone that absorbs this stuff like a sponge. But mm-hmm. what he can do at 20 damn years old, like, it, it's ridiculous. It's absurd how young this team is because um, Isaac Okoro is only like two months older than Mobley. He's crazy young. Crazy. Uh, Darius Garland is four weeks older than Tyrese Halliburton. Like it's yeah. it's all of these guys that that are doing things so far ahead of schedule. And um, I, I actually appreciate uh, I appreciate this conversation for many reasons. But I think you you managed to cheer me up a little bit before I do the chase down tonight. Which uh, I'm glad. It's going to be a, a little bit more glum if I, I'm being honest. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Sad Cavs fans kind of make me a little bit happy because it means that the Raptors' chance at the sixth seed is is just that much better. And you know what? Possibly, I'm gonna I'm gonna convince myself that possibly getting a sixth seed could mean that Evan Mobley um, loses out to to Scotty Barnes in the Rookie of the Year race. It doesn't feel likely, but I'm fine deluding myself with that. Thank <laughs> hey, you so much. If Kyrie was less of an idiot, if Kyrie was less of an idiot, this might have been the play-in game first round, Toronto versus Cleveland. So uh, that, that would have been a totally different conversation. <laughs> 
Uh, very fair. It's crazy to think about how different the Eastern Conference could be if Kyrie Irving would have just gotten the shot. Um, but you know what? I'm glad that didn't happen. Well, I don't want to say that. Get your shots, people. <laughs> Get vaccinated, everybody. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today, Justin. Um, and tell everybody where they can check you out. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This this was a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CavsDanada. Just slap the Cavs in Canada and you'll find me there. I apologize for everything you will find after you find me there. Uh, and you can also find the Chase Down podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. You can definitely find us there as well as the Cavs YouTube channel. Talk about the Cavs and the rest of the NBA through our wine and cold, gl- wine and gold colored glasses. My goodness, I can't talk. <laughs> Thank you so much, Justin. Bye, everybody.